My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. I am the Good Shepherd, said our Lord. The Good Shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Today is the feast of Blessed Alvaro del Portillo, the first successor of our father, who after our father's death was elected and at the helm of the work for almost 20 years. We can thank our Lord today for giving us such a good shepherd whose process of canonization is already well advanced. Over the door of the room of Don Alvaro in Villa Tevere, it was written a phrase from sacred scripture, which was vir fidelis multum laudabitur. The faithful man will be much praised. In all the things that our father had to say about Don Alvaro, in some ways, these words summed up everything. From the very early days of the work, our father relied very much on Don Alvaro. One of the people who was with our father in the crossing of the Pyrenees talked about how we, the story we've all heard of how our father was at one moment hesitating on whether or not to go on or to go back because he was worried about the people of the work that had been left behind in Madrid. And one of those people who was with our father in the Pyrenees who witnessed all of this said it wasn't really about all the people who were left behind in Madrid <clears throat> that our father was worried. It was about Alvaro. Our father saw very clearly that Alvaro was the person that God had chosen to be at his side and to be ready to continue the work at any moment if ever our father might disappear. Because as our father often told us, the work was a great supernatural undertaking in the hands of God at every moment. And we've heard on many occasions and seen with our own eyes possibly all the wonderful characteristics of Don Alvaro. I remember somebody of the General Council giving us a get-together in Rome <clears throat> on one occasion when Don Alvaro was out of Rome and talked about working with Don Alvaro day after day over many years and they'd come to see like everybody else around him the incredible qualities of Don Alvaro del Portillo. He was transmitting to us his own personal experience, something we'd sort of heard in various ways we also knew, but coming from the lips of somebody who was so close to Don Alvaro on a daily basis, it sort of drove the point home. And in the letter that the successor of Don Alvaro wrote on Javier de Echeverria in 1994, 
May 94, he says, pray for the first successor of our father. Talk to him, deal with him a lot. Have the sureness that he listens to you and that he's interested in everything that you have in your soul. These are interesting words coming also from Don Javier, who spent so many years, decades, beside Don Alvaro. His constant interest for each one of you has remained very much engraved in my mind. For each one of us, we were the motive of his life and the reason for his constant union with the Blessed Trinity. He talked about each one of us on a daily basis with each persons, each of the three divine persons, so that we would be placed in that intimate discourse that he had. I can assure you that we will never repay him for his generosity of a good father And that generosity was expressed in a, a daily self-giving, full of a desire to be close to each one of us, very close. May we be very grateful and have recourse daily to his intercession. Well, these words of Don Javier are like a program for the rest of our life. So that we take up that prayer card and we use it frequently like we do to our father and ask him for all the great graces that we want in the course of our life, for the big things and of the little, for the little things. And ask him that we might have the heart of Don Alvaro, so that we might be able to take on great undertakings, to be the continuity as Don Alvaro was, with the great concern that we would pass on the spirit we have received in all of its integrity. Occasionally we hear of stories of people who are not in the work and of what they had to say or what they experienced with, with Don Alvaro, one of the main theologians in the University of Navarre, Don Pedro Rodriguez, gave a discourse once at a, <clears throat> a ceremony that was held in the University of Navarre after the death of Don Alvaro like a, a eulogy to him or special recognition of his great contribution as the chancellor of that university. And Don Pedro mentioned how he'd been talking to a, a cardinal once and this cardinal did not know too much about the work but had met Don Alvaro and he sort of talked a little bit about Saint Josemaria but he had, I think he hadn't known him personally but then he very quickly got onto the topic of Don Alvaro and, and said, you know, and what a great mind he had. And so at the highest levels of the Vatican Curia, Don Alvaro had enormous prestige. And all of that was built up over decades, of working away, often silently, in matters related to the expansion of the church all over the world. Came to be a very close advisor of John Paul II. But even before that, another person who was not in the work told a story of how one day three or four important people were 
talking with Paul VI, deciding on a certain issue. And there was a certain disagreement among them about what particular course should be taken. And at a certain moment, Pope Paul VI, Saint Paul VI, asked, well, what does Del Portillo think? And somebody said, oh, well, he's in favor. And so Paul VI said, well, in that case, let's go that direction. And so from a very early stage, when Alvaro had enormous prestige, people recognized his great talents. There was a Spanish Dominican bishop who had been many years in, the, in, in China, who then came to be the auxiliary of Manila. And on one occasion, he went on an ad visit to Rome, which is a visit all bishops make every five years to report about their diocese. And when he came back to Manila, he had a certain affection for the work and knew some people. He talked about how he had not met Don Alvaro, but he saw him in the corridors of the Vatican. And he saw the way that the most important cardinals of the Curia were talking to Don Alvaro with great respect, great deference. And he hadn't heard too much about Don Alvaro. He didn't know too much about him. But when he saw these things, and this was a man who had been around in the church for many decades, when he saw the way these super important people were talking to Don Alvaro, he said, I was very impressed. And when he went back to Manila, he told the regional vicar, you know, I saw the way that these people were dealing with your prelate. Your, your prelate has enormous prestige in the contemporary church. Suddenly he got a glimpse of the figure of Don Alvaro. And later they showed him a movie of our father. And in that movie, he saw Don Alvaro sitting at the feet of St. Maria and drinking in every word. And the observation of this good bishop was, my goodness, if the person I saw in Rome, who enjoys such prestige in the contemporary church, such an important personality, and he's here sitting at the feet of Monsignor Escriva, what must Monsignor Escriva have been? And so when we hear these sort of stories, it can open our eyes to the gifts that God has given to us. In the funeral homily of Don Alvaro in the church of St. Eugene in Rome, San Eugenio, Don Javier in his homily said that Don Alvaro had been a giant in the church in the second part of the 20th century. Those are good words for us to ponder. A giant in the church but a giant also that to a large extent passed unnoticed. He hid away and disappeared because he wanted St. Maria to shine. He saw his place, his role. He saw himself as nothing. On Christmas Eve one night in Villa Tevere, there was a custom whereby he would come down to have a get together with people who work there. And he was always very cheerful. But in this case, he was a little more serious. And he told the people there, all of them, 40 years, 50 years younger than him, who had not been around too long, he told them, you know, St. Maria is working many favours at that time. Blessed Maria is working many favours for so many people all over the world. And sometimes his gracious favours 
are for people who know nothing about Opus Dei. And to me, he gives me nothing. And then he said, I've come to realize it's because I don't know how to pray. And the people who were listening to him sort of swallowed hard. This was a very humble declaration from a very holy man. If there was anyone in the church at that time who knew how to pray, perhaps it was him. But yet in front of them, so much younger than him, he revealed such humility. This is the greatness of the person that was called to be the successor of St. Jose Maria. He came to Manila in 1987. That afternoon when he arrived, I happened to be in a confessional box in downtown Manila. And some people who came to confession said to me, but you know, isn't the father arriving today? And I said, yes. And then they said, well, why are you not at the airport? Because in Manila, like in some countries, there's a great custom when somebody is arriving, well, the whole town goes to greet them. But I said to this person, well, you know, the father wants something very quiet. He doesn't want to make noise. He wants to pass unnoticed. He doesn't want a big crowd. And you could see people sort of understood, but maybe not fully. I happened to tell this story to the regional vicar. And a few days later, I happened to be having dinner with the father that night and the regional vicar with some other people. And the, the um, regional vicar said, tell, tell the father the story. This was in the get together. Tell the father the story that you told me. So I began to tell the father that I was in this confessional and somebody had asked me why I was not at the airport. And Arnaldo sat forward in the chair with a very serious look on his face and said in Spanish, ¿Y qué les dijiste? And what did you tell them? So I sort of took a deep breath and said, oh, well, this looks very important. No? So I said, Father, I told them that uh, you want to pass unnoticed and you don't want to make noise and you don't want to be crowd, etc., etc." And immediately Donovan sort of breathed a sigh of relief and sat back in the chair and with great force and depth said, Eso siempre, that always. And I breathed a sigh of relief because I'd obviously managed to say the right thing. But what was impressive was the conviction of Don Alvaro that in all the moments of his life, and even in this moment when he was coming to Asia for the first time, treading new ground, St. Jose Maria never reached there physically, that his main goal was to pass unnoticed, to sow many seeds, to hide away and disappear. Over the course of our life and vocation, we have the grace and the opportunity to get to know more and more about Don Alvaro. And we probably never exhaust in our lifetime all the things there are to learn. We'll be like little children discovering new things that we never realized before. The spiritual director of the work on a visit to Asia a number of years after Don Alvaro died, or maybe not too long after, made a phrase which struck in my memory. He said, we need to make a lot of noise and clamor grande in the world about the holiness of Don Alvaro. It's like one of the missions that God has given to us. In the process of beatification of Don Alvaro, 
the secretary of John Paul II, Cardinal de Witts, testified, as also did Cardinal Ratzinger. It would be very interesting someday to find out what they said, although probably that won't be possible. And in a letter in 2009, Don Javier wrote also in this month, he was talking about March on the 19th, it's the date in which our beloved Don Alvaro celebrated his Saints' Day. Let us follow the example of this servant of God, who harbored so deeply in his heart zeal for the salvation of souls. And let us pray that the process of his cause of canonization goes forward quickly. Without in any way anticipating the church's judgment, we are sure that the recognition of the heroism of his virtues would be another spur for many people to decide to turn all the circumstances and events of their life into opportunities to love and serve the kingdom of Jesus Christ. I heard somebody once who had to go from the commission in Spain to Rome for a few days to work there, describing how they couldn't sleep at night, so they got up early. They decided they would get their norms done early, get ahead for the day. And they didn't know where the lights on the corridor were. They had to grope their way in the general direction of the auditory. And then when they got to the auditory, well, there was a light coming out from underneath the, the door of the auditory. And they said their immediate impression was how strange. Somebody here in Villa Tevere has left the light in the auditory on all night. But they went into the oratory and they found Don Alvaro there, praying on his knees, alone. He said the impact of that was enormous. It was almost the middle of the night. And yet Don Alvaro was there praying. And so we have a lot to learn. In some of his biographies, they talk about there were certain key virtues that shone in the life of Don Alvaro. One was his cheerfulness. He was always cheerful, always cheerful. Another was his great peace. And one of his biographers, Bernal, says that you could see that it wasn't a genetic peace. Some people, you could explode a bomb beside them and they wouldn't even blink. But that was not the sort of person Don Alvaro was. You could see that it was an acquired peace. He radiated peace. Many bishops and cardinals who went to see him, one of them testified that, you know, when I came away from seeing him, I always seemed to come away with more peace and serenity than when I, when I, when I arrived. He transmitted the peace of Christ that was in his heart. On the night he died, we're told in the letter that Don Javier wrote to us, that when he called us to his room, when he got this bit of a heart attack, he said, we went to his room and we found him with the peace that characterized him. Peaceful in life and in death. Totally abandoned in the hands of his father God. Not worrying about anything. We've all seen and been witnesses to all the little details of filiation to our father. In one of his writings, he talks about how when he went to confession every week, ever since he became the prelate, 
and, and the President General before that, one of the things he would accuse himself of in his confession was not having been as attentive to our father as he could have been on some occasions, or not having lived that detail of filiation when he was the one placed beside our father. There's great supernatural refinement there. And also another of his great characteristics was his humility. Always wanting to follow in the footsteps of St. Josemaria, in being humble, in passing unnoticed, in hiding away and disappearing. And that phrase of Don Javier in the homily of his funeral mass, that he'd been a giant in the second part of the 20th century in the church. That's a very interesting phrase to delve into. What does that mean? What was the role of Don Alvaro in the Second Vatican Council? He wrote one of the main documents, Presbyter Orum Ordinus, on the priesthood. He was a secretary of one of the commissions. And we hardly know anything. And yet we know from others who are there of his magnificent contribution. In later synods and meetings of bishops and cardinals that took place in the subsequent 20 years, often Don Alvaro had to attend those things. And there were some sons of his who were involved in the simultaneous translation that there was from Italian to different languages. He would go and greet them in the little box or office where they were but then he would leave them and say, I have to go and, and meet different people. And they could see Don Alvaro moving around with these different bishops and cardinals, introducing himself, getting to know people, circulating, and all the time bringing with him the spirit of Opus Dei. It was a small little detail that these people narrated, but of course immensely relevant for us. That's the way we have to function at meetings, at professional gatherings, at social gatherings get to know people, shake people's hands, develop friendships, have many acquaintances, make contacts, use every opportunity. Really, they saw Don Alvaro living all of those things in the flesh in those particular moments. On one occasion, the Queen of Spain came to visit Rome and some of the important Spanish clerics were invited to have afternoon tea with her, maybe eight or 10 of them most important Spanish people working in the Holy See. And probably the most important at that time was Don Alvaro. He'd been there longest. He had a great prestige and influence and importance. But at one stage in the afternoon tea, suddenly the Queen blurts out, and where is Don Alvaro del Portillo? And there was an embarrassed silence because he was sitting right in front of her. But she didn't know who he was. <laughs> it was a bit amusing. And so people tried to look the other way because Her Majesty had sort of put her foot in it a little bit. And immediately Don Alvaro spoke up and said, well, Your Majesty, you do me a great favor because ever since our founder died, one of the goals of my life has been to hide away and disappear. And you've helped me to do that this afternoon. And everybody breathed a sigh of relief. The tension in the air was calmed. There was Don Alvaro passing over this embarrassing moment and helping the queen to recover a little bit from this faux pas. Before the conclave that elected John Paul II, I had arrived in Rome those days, he made a pilgrimage to a shrine of Our Lady every single day, praying for the church, praying for the future Pope. And in doing so, gave us great example also of our Marian pilgrimages, particularly in the month of May. 
of having recourse to Our Lady, of asking her for miracles. And we know that in a few days before the, the conclave, Don Alvaro sent Don Joaquin to see Cardinal Ortilla, who had been to have dinner in Villatevere a few days before or a few weeks before, and to give him an image of Our Lady of Good Counsel that he could possibly use it during the conclave. Small little detail. And so today on his feast day, we have many reasons to give thanks for such a good father, for such a loyal son, for somebody who has given us an example of what filiation means, and also has given each one of us a great example for all who come after of what paternity means, of what loyalty means. We know that our father liked to use the word saxum for him, a rock, because he had made difficult tasks in the history of the work, some of them impossible. It's good for us to get to know them and to know the magnitude of what our father asked him to do. Our father couldn't reach everything, but he relied on Delavaro again and again. It's a good thing for us to think about our sense of responsibility. Numerary, supernumerary, associate, do I take on my shoulders the burdens of the work, the economic burdens, the developmental burdens, the apostolic burdens in a serious way to bring forward Opus Dei on this planet like Don Alvaro did? And in the latter years of his life, as the prelate of Opus Dei, well, Don Alvaro had to travel, traveled all over the world. But at that age, it's not so easy to travel. But yet he did so gladly, gave himself to it completely. He had a great love for the Holy Church and a great spirit of service in all the things that he did. And while he did big things and great things and important things, he also took care of all sorts of little details. In the early 1980s, it might have been 1980 itself in Dublin, he had gone there for a few days to visit his children there. And in the early August days, he would write a letter to the people of the work who were going to be ordained. And so that year, that occasion found him in Dublin and he had to write this letter, which in those days was written, handwritten. There were no computers in the early 80s. So he'd write them with his own hand. Well, now at halfway through the letter, or halfway down the first page, he made a mistake. A spelling mistake. And so he started the writing again, went back with a new page, began again. He could have just scratched it out a little bit and continued, could have saved time that way. The second time that he started the letter, he might have made another mistake. But this time he went through it without making any mistakes. We all know how easy it is to make a mistake when you're writing an important letter. And that page that he half wrote, he left there in the commission in Dublin, sort of a, ment a memento of his visit. Of course, it was much more than a memento of his visit. It was a testimony of how he did things well, of how he wanted to take care of details, of how he wanted that aspect of his work to be well done, properly finished, a model that you could hold up for all eternity.
and have also had fortitude to correct. Father Joseph de Torre, great philosopher in the Philippines who passed away a few years ago, talked about how at one stage he was functioning as the secretary of Don Alvaro. And one day he did something wrong. And Don Alvaro said to him, Otro que no sabe escuchar. Another one who doesn't know how to listen. And so you could see the fortitude of Don Alvaro to teach the young people that were coming after him to do things right. Didn't let an occasion pass. Because he knew these things, these people would be going to the ends of the earth to bring our spirit there. And so he wasn't just a nice, sweet, characteristic, paternal person that we knew at the end of his life. In earlier days, there was great fortitude to do things right. Our fidelity is always proselytistic. Our deep, personal, familiar and intimate friendship with our Lord infects us with his desire to save souls. And so Don Alvaro fired us with that enthusiasm, a proselytistic fidelity. I've come, our Lord said, to cast fire upon the earth. And what would I but that it was already enkindled? And so he had this great apostolic zeal that he wanted to transmit to each one of us. He dealt with everyone with a great affection. A person of the work in Kenya, who has now passed on and became a priest, has left a written anecdote that on the 11th of April 1990, I was attending a get-together in Capabianca with seven other people from Kenya in a place called the Piazza dell'Orologio. Even though the sun was out that morning, the place was a bit chilly and we were under the shade of a building. And there must have been a thousand people, maybe more in that particular little square. And when the father got onto the stage, one of the first things he said was who put my Kenyan sons under the shade? Because he knew they'd find it a bit cold in a different temperature. And then they get together, continue with normally until somebody quite near us asked a question. And then he looked in our direction. And as he answered the question, I could see him removing the cardigan he was wearing. And after answering the question, he held the cardigan in his hand and he threw it at me, saying something like, Luigino, put on this so that you don't feel cold. And there followed a deafening, thunderous clap from all present. I couldn't believe what I was seeing and hearing. The fact that I wasn't actually feeling cold didn't matter. What was important was that the father realized where we were and was concerned about me. Even more moving was that he remembered my name after one year of not seeing each other. I promptly put on the cardigan on top of my jacket until the end of the get together. And just before the end, he turned towards us and said, Luigino, you can now return my cardigan. I made use of the opportunity to go up on the stage and greet him. And in the next get together on Saturday, the 14th of April, April in the same place, he looked for us at the beginning of the get together and commented that it was now better that we were no longer in the shade. And so these are some of the beautiful details that Don Alvaro has left us. You could ask him that we might have that same fidelity that he had, a fidelity that is contagious. Our father says in the forge, Mary, 
Virgo Fidelis, Virgin Most Faithful, intercede for us so that we may imitate your faithfulness, so that we may see our daily fiat, our daily yes to friendship with Jesus Christ and to friendship with others. Rather that we may, may say our daily fiat, not see. There are many people around you and you have no right to be an obstacle to their spiritual good, to their eternal happiness. You are an obligation to be a saint. You must not let God down for having chosen you. Neither must you let those around you down. They expect so much from your Christian life. And so, Virgin Most Faithful, may you help us to imitate the fidelity of Don Alvaro on this particular feast day. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections and inspirations that you have communicated to me during this meditation. I ask your help to put them into practice. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.